0: Leslie and Meredith are the backups. That's their name, the backups. is here for them. So good. Thank you, thank you. So good morning, Storyline. It's so good to be together this morning. Um, before we get started, I want to just take a second to acknowledge all of the folks that are pitching in to make this happen. Um, there's so much hard work that is going into this. I can't even begin to describe it. So our Sunday mornings, there's just like a swarm of people here. There are different teams, but together I think of them as like, our dream team, really, okay? It's like They set up this room, they set up Kidport, kid they tear it down afterward, they run the sound, they run the computer, they greet us at the door, they bring coffee, food, put out signs, play in the band, and so much more. Every morning, it takes about 30 volunteers to put this on for us this morning. And so, would you just please join me in giving all of them a hand? It's so cool, so, so great. So thankful to them and to the Solarium and to the guys that run it. They're just everybody's been so great. So thank you. I also want to take a second um, to echo what Mike Maxwell was saying up here during announcements. Kidport could use some volunteers. And here's something that you might not know with Kidport: Tracy and Emily, who are Kidport directors, have kind of totally revamped Kidport. They are the ones who do the teaching, and then the kids move through stations and the other stations. So if you volunteer for Kidport, you're not like teaching a Bible lesson. You're running a game or um, doing crafts or things like that. So it's really fun, no pressure, no prep, super fun. Please think about um, pitching in there. And then um, the other thing that I want to mention is our nursery volunteers. Now this is a popular spot usually, but the pressure is on in this spot, in case you haven't wondered, because the nursery is right around the corner, like in this open air area. So we could always use more help there, especially if you are like a baby whisperer, okay? (laughs) If that's you, please consider helping out that uh, back there. So, by the way, have you noticed this? This is something we all have noticed throughout life, and that is that no one likes to hear a baby cry, right? Like there's something in us that just goes off. And I think a lot of times we think we're, you might be irritated, but it's really not. It's something else going on. Like um, neuropsychologists, they measure this stuff, and they know that what is happening in our brain. When we hear a baby cry, it's the same thing that happens when we see someone injured. It's the same thing that happens um, when we put our hand on a hot stove. Our, like, our nervous system just goes into overdrive. It's something just kicks in. We automatically pull our hand away. We automatically stand up to go and soothe a baby because human beings are hardwired to avoid pain. We're hardwired to avoid pain. Every fiber in our being says pain is bad get away from pain, from our nervous systems to our emotions. We all operate under this assumption all the time. No one wears a seatbelt or pays their taxes or goes to the dentist, any other host of lots of decisions that are unpleasant that we make, right? We do that not because they're fun. We do them because we're trying to avoid some pain in the future, right? So pain avoidance is a huge thing for human beings, and which is why... I think it's really remarkable when you look at what it is that we've been looking at together, which is going back to the start and we've been going back to the start of what why a storyline exists, what are we doing and why and kind of juxtaposing that with how did Jesus start his ministry on earth? And we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus starts this his first public address with a section called the Beatitudes. Last week, we looked at the first one. And this week, we're going to look at the second beatitude. And this is not the way that I would start something if I was trying to start something that I hoped would be popular, okay? Because this is what he said with the second beatitude. This is right at the beginning. This is line two of Jesus' public ministry. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Why? Would you start like that? Well, I've been uh, teaching uh, for 32 years now. I know, I started really, really young. And um, I've had a number of student teachers now. And I tell them that, as far as I can tell, there are two secrets to being a good teacher. And um, this is the one I share with my student teachers. The first is, kids learn best from teachers they like and they like teachers who like them. And so my advice to my student teachers is like kids. I know, it's pretty sophisticated, right? So I'm teaching PE. So anyways, that's my expert advice to, to, to my student teachers. And the second secret of teaching, as far as I can figure it out, is you have about two to three minutes at the beginning of each lesson, at the beginning of each hour, to get your class, to get your students to really want to know the answer to the question that you're about to ask. That's what the beginning of class is for. Now, they don't know that's going on, but that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to to pique their curiosity. Now, in my role at Storyline, I actually try to, to utilize these two secrets every Sunday. For instance, I've managed to convince most of you that I like you. Right. <laughs> Paul, where is Paul? Paul thinks I like him. See? Mission accomplished. Right? Secret one, done. But um, and we try to open with songs or and or videos that kind of establish that the topic we're going to look at that on that morning is yeah, that's something I actually I wonder about that too. I think I asked that question myself. I'm actually curious about that. And at first glance when I looked at this second beatitude I'm like, oh, what am I going to do with this? How do... Because you're either mourning or you're not. You're either in a good place or in a bad spot in life. And so I'm like, okay, how, what are we going to do with this? But um, then I started to think about what life's looked like for everybody the last year and a half, right? And I think we all know, we all know, even if things are relatively smooth in our own personal life, that we know what it is to lose something, to grieve even. So I have a feeling that I don't need to convince any of us that, you know, if Jesus has some insight into how to find comfort in the most difficult seasons of life, this is something that we might really would like to know about. So for instance, in the last year and a half, I've done 13 funerals. 13 funerals. Three for people under 30. Many of those had 10 people, one had 12. Several of these funerals had less than that number of people that could come to the funeral. In the last 18 months, without getting into what people died of or from or with, here's, we do know this, that 700, almost 700,000 more Americans have died in the last 18 months than died in the previous 18 months before that. Every survey and study that you can find will indicate that depression, anxiety, loneliness, addiction, and suicide rates are all way up. In fact, 50 million Americans right now are struggling with their mental health. And here's the stat that really gave this away for me, about like where we're at as a country, if you will. 80% of Americans report being satisfied or very satisfied with their economic situation. satisfied or very satisfied with their economic situation, which is an all-time high. Never been higher than that. Yet our life satisfaction score in America is at an all-time low. It's never been lower. So I suspect when Jesus talks about being comforted in the midst of mourning, we're at least a little bit curious. So before we dive in to this second beatitude, I want to say a few words about, there's nine of them. I want to say about all, a few words about all nine of them together. You recall, like I mentioned earlier, that the Beatitudes are like the preamble. They're the opening to Jesus's opening, right? So it's um, the, they're the opening to the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, I was talking with my friend, our friend, Jill McNabney, who speaks here um, often, and I wish she would do that more. She's so good. But um, we were talking about these Beatitudes, and Jill had this really great insight And she noticed that the first beatitude and the last beatitude promised the same thing, the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they're both about God being on our side. And so we had this really interesting conversation about that. And then later, and I didn't really think anything of it. And then later she emailed me and said, maybe the beatitudes begin and end with God's already on our side. And the ones in the middle Or how we get ourselves on his. And I'm like, gosh, if if I wish she wasn't here this morning, I would have stolen that as mine. (laughs) I have to give her credit for that. I think it's brilliant. I also told her, if that's not true, it should be. That's really, really good. I really think there's something to this. So we talked about this actually quite a bit this summer. This discovery that God is on our side, it's amazing. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there's, no, there's no, nothing standing between us and God. He has come to us. He's with us. He's for us. God is on our side. But that's just the beginning of the story. It's not the end of the story. It's kind of like God saying, so look, the ball's in your court. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm for you what are you going to do with that, with me? That's the question that God places before us. So God being on our side, which we said is what the first beatitude kind of established last week, it's great news, but it's just the beginning, okay? So this is essentially what we do together every Sunday as we explore together every week. How is trusting in this new reality of God being on our side, how does it, how could it, change us and the direction of our life, like how we see life, what we look for in life, who we'll serve with our life. That's the long ongoing question. That's the thing we're wondering about together. Because now, if, if Jesus is right, right, if the gospel is true, we are all in a position, we've been put in a position to, we can align ourselves with God we can put ourselves on God's side with who he is and what he's doing. And so I believe Jill is on to something here and beginning with this beatitude and then the next six, they are about how do we do that? What does that look like for us to place ourselves on God's side? How do we respond to God being gracious? As in already on our side. In this sense, the beatitudes are not a to-do list. They're much more like a map. Matthew. Bye-bye. I've
1: got it. Mm. The opening? Yes. What is it? A map. The what? Directions where people should look to find me. Okay. Give me a moment. Hmm. Ready? Have I? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Yes, but how is it the map? If someone wants to find me, those are the groups they should look for. (laughs) And then? You are the salt of the earth.
0: cool scene, and I I love it for so many reasons, specifically this idea of Jesus practicing and rehearsing his talk, I mean, going over and over it, it makes me feel pretty smart because I'm just winging this, frankly, (laughs) but I I do love this idea of the Beatitudes as a map, a place to look for God, isn't that awesome, a place to look for God, Not, not something that we do or have to accomplish, but it's more like a way to live the way to the direction our life gets to go. We're invited to live that way. So how do we put ourselves on God's side? And I want to consider just a few observations about this second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Isn't it interesting that after establishing this groundbreaking, revolutionary, religion-wrecking, self-righteousness-ruining announcement of God is on your side, that with the very next beatitude, Jesus turns immediately to blessed are those who mourn. It's like, wah, wah, like such a Debbie Downer. This is not where you think he's going to go with this, right? Like, Paul, God's on our side. Blessed are those who mourn. Ugh, that's, not, that's not what you want to hear, right? But what I appreciated about, about that so much is that Jesus is just admitting, he's just telling us right up front, don't mistake God being gracious. God already loving us, God being on our side for the same thing as this promise of a pain-free life of ease and comfort around every corner because that's not the promise. The promise of God is that whenever something bad happens to us, he will use that bad, hard, sad situation to do something good in us. One writer in the Bible who saw a lot of trouble in his day put it like this. The moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside us, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in us and for us, making prayer out of the wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why We can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. I told this story just this summer, so I'm going to apologize kind of for sharing it again, but it just fits so well with this topic this morning. When Jenna, our daughter, was about three years old, she was riding her bike in the driveway in a really small circle, She was singing this song, God can make you turn around, turn around, turn around. And she was going in this really tight circle. And, of course, um, she was going too fast. Her circle was too tight. And she fell off her bike. And I ran to her and scooped her up. And there were tears and hyperventilating. And Jenna was upset, too. Okay. (laughs) But... She kept trying to say something. She's like, dad, dad, da, daddy, daddy. And I'm trying to like listen as best I can. She says, why? Why? She's railing. You know, why? Why do they make driveways so hard? <laughs> right? Well, from her perspective, I, I could see why that was a problem. She was confused. She was in pain. But the truth is there's a good reason that driveways are hard. But sometimes there's just more going on than than we can see as children. There's more going on than we can know or comprehend. Now, I didn't wait for her to get it, to understand. I didn't try to teach her some lesson right then and there about concrete and driveways, right? What did I do? I ran to her. I scooped her up. I held her. I kissed her. And I tried to transform this bad, sad, and painful event this thing that happened to her, into something that might be valuable that could happen in her. Like this assurance and this experience that your father loves you and he will comfort you. And I'm very happy to report that Jenna's is about to graduate from college this year and I know she believes that I will be there for her no matter what and I'm reasonably sure that she understands why driveways are so hard. <laughs> so it turned out well, right? But do you see what Jenna was doing there? It's really important. This is what Jenna was doing. To put herself in that place to be comforted, she was mourning. She was mourning. And this is the beginning of how and why she was comforted. Had she not mourned, had she not cried out, had she tried to tough it out herself and hide the pain, hide the wound, I wouldn't have known to come to try to comfort her. She could have been in just as much pain, just as confused, just as bewildered, sad, and all alone. She would have been suffering in silence.
2: I just want to just want
0: Is it getting better? Yeah. So good. Thank you. I know you noticed that there's room for another mic over here. And we practiced this morning with me up there. And it just, I I felt like I was just showing them off a little bit. So I let the... Three of them do this. Here's the second observation that I want to share about this beatitude. Mourning, and we don't really realize this, I think. This is not something that just, it's anti-intuitive, but mourning is a verb. It's something that we do with our pain and confusion. It's in our sadness. And not everyone in pain who's confused and bewildered by life mourns. That's a choice. Mourning is not a state that we're in. It's a story that we share. It's not a state that we're in just because something bad or sad or hard or tragic happened to us. It's a story that we share, and that's a choice. It's a decision that we make to tell our story. Now, if we uh, go too fast in life, if we keep our circle too tight, we're going to crash. And if we don't share that, With people, we don't mourn, it's going to be hard to expect to be comforted. So mourning is a verb. Now, if you've ever been to a good grief counselor, and I have, they will tell you that if you try to avoid the pain of loss, it doesn't go away. It just goes deeper. It just goes deeper. And my friends in recovery have taught me so much about this, and they tell me that we can't bury pain. We can only plant it. There is no burying pain. We can only plant it, and it will grow into something ugly in our lives. And so at the bottom of every bottle, at the end of every binged Netflix series, uh, when the spoon hits the bottom of the ice cream bowl, we'll find maybe we found some temporary distraction, but we'll also find that it hasn't worked. You see, we can't selectively numb pain without numbing comfort at the same time. That's how it works. So if we want to be comforted, we must mourn. We must let trusted friends know our story. And we must let God know. Did you know that that's a huge percentage of the Bible? A huge part of, a huge parts of the Bible are all people just crying out to God in their difficult, painful, and tragic times. To be comforted, we must resist the temptation to move past the pain too quickly. And we must move first Into it. We have to move into it. Now, that doesn't mean wallow. It doesn't mean get stuck. It just means face it. It just means face it. Now, don't get me wrong, it's okay to soothe ourselves. There are times for that. Life is hard. Life is difficult. And at the end of some days, it's fine to find ways to soothe ourselves. Some wine, some ice cream, one episode of Squid Game, or maybe (laughs) two, okay? But the full bottle, the whole carton, the entire season is probably just going to make things worse, especially when you combine all three of those things, (laughs) right? Comfort begins by moving in to pain, not past it. You know, when Storyline first started, we had um, several big ideas, big dreams. And the first one, frankly, was this, like this setting that we're in now, we call it our gathering. And we wondered if God is inviting us into a life of love, like to love life and to love loving others and to love loving God, maybe maybe we should start exploring what that looks like in our life by beginning with what we already love in our real everyday life and work backward from there. So take what we know and love already, look at that, wonder why do we love this, why do we enjoy that, and work backward from there towards maybe the original source of that kind of love? Well, by definition, we all already love pop culture. That's why they call it pop culture. It's popular, right? So this is why our gatherings look like this. People ask this question all the time. Like, where in the world would you come up with this idea? And as much as I'd love to take credit for it, I can't because Jesus came up with this idea. This is exactly what he did. He used stories, stories in public places, which that was the epitome of pop culture in his time. It was the most popular thing to do. And he used stories in public places to bring the good news of God's grace right up next to the things about life that people already knew and already loved. And, and he looked at them like this with folks. That's what we're trying to do here. So music and movies in a place like a park or a school or a, even a brewery, it's not a new idea. This is, what we're doing is actually very, very old. It's very, very old. I tease one of my friends who's a pastor of a church that he thinks of as more traditional, and I tell him, we're more traditional. <laughs> what we're doing is even older than what you're doing, buddy. So take that, right? So another dream that we had um, is as it's also really old. And which was, and it comes right out of this beatitude. After Jesus created these big public events, driven by frankly leveraging pop culture to talk about grace, he invited people into smaller settings, into smaller groups, to think about and discuss what they all just experienced together. Now we call them community groups here at Storyline, and we came up, we came to this through on accident, really. Storyline started, or even before Storyline. There was a group of folks that were getting together and praying about what could this look like. didn't even have a name yet. And it wasn't long. This this was happening just a year or two after 9-11. And after that terrible day, something amazing happened in America. Church attendance skyrocketed. It just went through the roof. And then a year later, church attendance was exactly where it was before and kept declining. And there were all kinds of books and articles and studies that came out that said, this is why this happened and blah, 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 blah. And they criticized the church's reaction to September 11th. And basically, I'll sum up the criticism. It went like this. The church didn't say the right things when people showed up on September 12th. And so they just left. But we drew another lesson from that situation. We wondered this. Maybe the problem wasn't what we said on September 12th. Maybe it was who we were and who we weren't on September 10th. That's the big question that we started with. Maybe people only share their pain on September 12th with those who already love them on September 10th. And so from the outset, we have been trying to be, hoping to be, praying to be, to become a September 10th community september 10th community and and we have a long way to go it's a very high bar but that is why we begin with belonging because so much of finding and cherishing the love of god and being comforted is about being a part of a community that already loved you when your september 11th comes and like it or not that day is coming for all of us the question is will we be alone or together
3: I'm alone, Ted, just like he said I would be if I left. I don't want to be
2: alone. Hey, it's OK. Come My
1: <laughs> Me old man started showing up, didn't I? You know, bragging to all his mates every time I scored the goal. Calling me soft if I didn't dominate, you know, and I I hated that.
2: Well,
1: you have to wonder, Arlo, at his age, with that injury,
3: personally, I'm sorry to say, I think this may be the last time we ever see the great Roy Kent lace up his boots. and i want you to be grateful that you're going through this sad moment with all these other folks because i promise you there is something worse out there than being sad and that is being alone and being sad ain't nobody in this room alone
0: Ted Lasso, again, probably more to come. So good. If, you, if we aren't cultivating a community where we will mourn with those who mourn, if we aren't, if we aren't trying to become that kind of community together, then, then God being on our side is just a neat idea that will forever remain just that. Just a neat idea, and one that brings actually very little comfort in, in the tragedies of real everyday life. Look, we can be sad, alone, We can grieve alone. We all have the option to suffer in solitude and silence. But Jesus is telling us here in this second Beatitude that the path to comfort is to mourn. And we cannot mourn alone. We can't mourn alone. Mourning, as it turns out, is a team sport. So, beginning with belonging, being a September 10th community, comes from this map of the Beatitudes. Last thought on mourning, trying to tie some of this together for us. To be comforted, we must recognize, yes, we must recognize that attempting to move past grief only plants it, and it's going to come back as something uglier in our life. It makes it worse. Yet, moving into mourning is a process, and it is a process that has a point. Now, I'm borrowing from the famous work from Kubler-Ross on the Stages of Greece. Grief, but the process goes something like this, okay? The first, the first part is shock, right? Like, driveways are hard. <laughs> They're hard. We just don't feel that every day until you crash on it. The next one is sorrow. Sharing the pain and confusion and asking why. Daddy, why? Which is exactly what Jesus asked when he was in pain. That's a fair question. It's a good one and we need to ask it. Struggle. Adjusting to a new situation is not easy. We're going to need other people to help dress our wounds, our ongoing wounds. Surrender. We must allow ourselves to be comforted. We can't just move into the pain. We have to allow others to move in with us. That's how we will eventually get through it together. Sanctification. Now, this is a fancy word, but I needed an S word here, okay? Anyways... (laughs) It just just means God is up to something. Like he will not waste our suffering. He will not waste our suffering. When it happens to us, God is working in us. And finally, service. Mourning well and finding comfort, we become agents of comfort. Now you all know that my wife Lisa is gone often on weekends because she coaches. And, And she's gone this weekend actually watching my... Our daughter played volleyball in New Orleans this morning. And so I, when she's not here, it really opens up the stories that I can tell, right? <laughs> you turn the camera off, the podcast malfunctions for a second, and I can tell a story. But today, I want, I want to share with you just real quickly a story that she wouldn't let me share if she was here um, because it's one of the many ways that she is one of my heroes. And Lisa, having mourned the loss of our daughter, And doing it well. She really mourned well. Like she didn't skip or skimp any of this process. She dove into it. And because of that, she has become a relentless and fearless comforter. We get phone calls all the time that nobody wants to get. Which means that we are in rooms that nobody wants to be in. And I can't tell you, I mean, how often, it's, it, it's, it's sudden and it's tragic news oftentimes. But Lisa is always ready. She's always willing. She does not hesitate. I like, I like freeze like a deer in the headlights, like, oh, my gosh, I can't do this. She runs towards people who are suffering. It's unbelievable. I just, I, I watch it in her and, and through her. And I'm telling you, I don't even, it's something that she's become this giant, because of what she's been through. And she's become this unbelievable comfort for people who are in such horrific pain. God has truly transformed her. She has become such a great comfort to so many people experiencing enormous loss. And this is at least part of what God wants to do in us and through us if we'll mourn. If we'll actually mourn. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is why bad things happen. That is a massive question that I don't pretend to have the answer to, and I'm certainly not going to try to address today, but I can promise you this, that God will not waste our suffering, that he is always working in us and through us, and when life does something really hard to us, he wants to do something in us so that he can then do something through us. Our comfort is completed By comforting others. That's what I see in my wife. And we're gonna close this morning with a video that I believe illustrates all this so well. And then a beautiful song that the girls are gonna share with us again. But before that, I'd like to read a passage of the Bible. It was written by a man named Paul in a letter to some of the first followers of Jesus, who he knew he had been through incredible suffering. And he knew they were in incredible suffering and pain and loss. And I think that this part of this letter is such a beautiful commentary on this second beatitude. This is what Paul wrote to these folks. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you a patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings so also you share in our comfort and we do not want you to be in the dark friends about how hard he goes into some details about how hard his life has been how hard their life is in fact it's so bad that we didn't think we were going to make it we felt like we had been sent to death row that it was all over for us and as it turned out it was the best thing that could have happened Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get out of it, we are forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea, since he's the God who raises the dead. Dan
3: Peterson was late for his own memorial service. Four years late. According to his brother Jesse, Dan was ready to die back in 2016. And some little girl, who was four years old, said, Hi, old person. (laughs) That little giver of life was Nora Wood. Nora met Dan during his darkest days. As we first reported in November of 2016, Dan's wife had just died. He was severely depressed and out grocery shopping for himself here in Augusta, Georgia, when Nora spotted him. As you can see on the security footage, she just randomly reached out to this total stranger and then had the audacity to demand a hug.
1: I said, a hug? I said, absolutely.
3: (laughs) Nora got her hug and then asked her mom, Tara, to take a picture of her with her new friend. And his little lip quivered and he was teared up and it was just sweet.
1: And I said, you don't know. This is the first time for quite a while that i been as happy.
3: After we first told this story, we thought for sure the love would fade. But Nora and Dan saw each other at least once a week. He was there for her kindergarten graduation. How about that? And she was there to stroll his garden. Now these rock tomatoes. And of course, there were countless hugs along the way.
2: It was the first thing she did when we walked in. It was the last thing she did when we left.
3: This was Nora's final visit with her sister, Marigold, the day before Dan died. No story I've ever told has resonated as deeply as this one. Over the years, Dan got thousands of letters from around the world, and now the condolences are pouring in for Nora. And you can't help but wonder why, with so much else going on in the world,
2: I think it was just humanity at its best to love and to be loved.
3: A prescription for happiness that will get us through anything. Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Augusta, Georgia.
2: It got dirty on way
0: for me, and I think it's probably, it could be a hard morning for some of us, but it's actually really, really good news. The Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted, and I know that that is true for me when I mourn, when I actually take, when I actually share my story, and I'd like to encourage all of us to do the same. This is how we become a September 10th community. It's how we really step into the comfort of God. And I think it's how the comfort of God is completed in our life as we comfort those who mourn. Uh, One of my favorite theologians also teaches Sunday school and um, he once translated this beatitude for his little fourth grade Sunday school class, the second beatitude, and he translated it like this. Happy are the sad because they will be hugged and hugged. Maybe so. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to be together. And we uh, thank you that you have come to us to be with us. Thank you that you are on our side. And I pray that you would help us to really consider this map of the Beatitudes. uh, Helping us to find you, to put ourselves on your side, beginning with facing the hardest and, and the darkest parts of our own lives and the lives of the people that you put in our lives to love. Thank you so much um, for that gift uh, of inviting us into that ministry, into the to comforting one another. I pray especially for those in our community who have suffered very real losses in the last year and a half or so, or longer. I pray that... Um, you would bring them your comfort. As we leave here this morning, Jesus, I pray that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for coming, folks. (laughs)